In a more widely documented case, six men were charged with raping two white nurses. The black soldiers were represented by one white officer. None of them made a statement, and none admitted they were guilty. The alleged victim um, said that she had sex with uh, uh, two, and then at one point she said three uh, of the six men, so which may have meant that the, that the three others didn't have any kind of uh, sexual contact. But MacArthur reviewed the case and upheld it, and the six men were executed. They were all hanged. Dearest mother and daddy, how have you been since I last heard from you? Well, mother, this is going to hurt you. I'm in serious trouble, and I have to pay the penalty. Some time ago, I was court-martialed. I was tried under three articles of war. Mutiny, rape, and attempted rape. Dear Eleanor, I know it is hard for you all to believe it. We will be hanged tomorrow morning. You all know just how far a colored man's words go. His word is no good. So you all read this letter. I ask you not to worry, because I'm going to meet my Lord. I always loved you from the first time I met you, and I shall still love you after I'm gone. I won't say goodbye. I only say so long, because I'm sorry I can't help anymore. Take care of mom, your son, Arthur Thomas Brown, one who thought there was no one like you, Leroy. Context of white supremacy, Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday, March 30, 2022. So I have been told uh, that audio segment from the documentary Black Soldier Blues, uh, even in the midst of global mayhem, black male rapists. Uh, We played that segment and talked about that film way back in the archives. important for lots of reasons but reminded me very much of the content content that we will discuss today. Uh, We just finished in the book club The Man in the High Castle, Philip K. Dick and we got towards the end and they used the term, Mr. Dick uses the term Tojo as a racial slur I said, Tojo? What is that? Who's Tojo? Retired firefighter helped me out. I said, oh, he was one of the he was convicted war criminal, uh, one of the generals for uh, the Japanese army. Immediately, I flip to our guest for today's broadcast. I felt so embarrassed that I hadn't read his book already. I just flipped to the index to see, does he have Tojo in there? And I kind of did the one I look, yes. To, oh, if I had read this, I would have been in much better position easily one of the best books Gus has ever read so informative just wow amazing scholarship and then white supremacy is in the title and on every page of the book basically wow super privileged to have him on the program again Uh, joining us he is the professor he has the holds the Moore's professorship of history and African American studies at the University of Houston uh, has written a plethora of books, probably two or three since this morning. Back with us once again, Dr. Gerald Horn. Dr. Horn, are you with us, sir? Yes, thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to have you on the program. We'll try to be efficient with your time. Um, Before we get to race, or just for any of our listeners, this might be their first time uh, hearing about you and the work that you do. Anything that you would like to share with folks briefly before we get started? 
No, I thought that introduction you did was sufficient. Outstanding. The 2005 publication, Race War. One of the best books that I've ever read. I'm so glad that we could have you on the program. Just, I guess, can you give listeners an idea? Because I was impressed immediately. Many things to be impressed about, but the research. You went to five continents to research this work? Well, what happened, I got a a fellowship at Hong Kong University, uh, which is now the special administrative region of the People's Republic of China, a former British colony. And Hong Kong was the centerpiece of that book. But, of course, I went to Australia, to India, Singapore, Europe, North America. Uh, There's some research in Africa in, in, in that book as well. And the book tells a story about the racial implications of the rise of Japan. And it also inferentially sheds light on why thus far the only use of atomic weapons has been on Japan in August 1945 at the hands of the United States of America, which some consider one of the most profound episodes of mass murder in world history And insofar as tens of thousands of people were incinerated instantaneously when they dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And in order to understand that mass murder, you have to understand what Japan's uh, modus operandi was up until August 1945. In other words, the Japanese elite had noticed that a small percentage of humanity uh, basically centered in the North Atlantic and Western Europe and in North America were dominating the world and were doing it on the basis of a kind of hocus pocus that they were, quote, white, unquote, and therefore were superior. Uh, Obviously, this does not go down very well by the hundreds of millions of people who were not so defined. And so Japan decided that it would get in the head of that parade. Interestingly enough, I spend quite a bit of time in that book talking about the reaction of black Americans to this uh, Japanese maneuver. You also should know that I have a companion volume to this book, Race War, that deals almost exclusively with the Black American reaction. Uh, That book is called Facing the Rising Sun, African Americans, Japan, and the Rise of Afro-Asian Solidarity. It only came out a couple years ago. And some of your alert listeners might recognize that phrase, Facing the Rising Sun, Of course, it comes from the so-called Negro National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And interestingly enough, uh, during the era of Japan's rise, which is the first four and a half decades of the 20th century, uh, that phrase, uh, facing the rising sun, was oftentimes invoked by black Americans because, of course, the rising sun is the symbol of Japan. In any case, uh, in that book, Facing the Rising Sun, and also in Race War, if I'm not mistaken, I talk about what happens in black communities in November 1942, when you had black Americans drilling in uniforms with weapons, expecting a Japanese invasion of North America, in which they would join the Japanese side in order to rout 
the rulers in, in Washington and on Wall Street. What happens, of course, is that uh, they're rolled up, uh, they're detained, many of them black nationalists. In, in fact, uh, you may know that uh, the man we know as Elijah Muhammad was imprisoned uh, during World War II because of his reluctance to fight uh, against imperial Japan. I start the book Facing the Rising Sun with an episode from Malcolm X's autobiography. You may recall that in the autobiography, he talks about going to a draft board, and he doesn't want to get drafted. (laughs) And so he says that uh, if he's drafted, uh, he's going to turn his weapons on the officers in the U.S. military and likely uh, defect to the Tokyo side. So what's remarkable about this story is that how it's been buried to a degree, which I understand, because it raises very disturbing questions. It raises questions about the ultimate loyalties and allegiances of people of African descent. Uh, I think for the rulers of this country who like to sleep well at night, they prefer to think that despite all the violence inflicted upon us and our ancestors and the depredations that have been inflicted upon us and our ancestors, that we somehow, I guess, are chumps, <laughs> that we remain loyal uh, to the uh, bloodstained stars and stripes. But history belies that uh, easy nostrum. And certainly the research that I do in Race War and Facing the Rising Sun uh, should put a final nail in that coffin of ridiculousness. Indeed, uh, full title, Race War, White Supremacy, and the Japanese Attack on the British Empire. Uh, let's see, before, in, in fact, even with what you just said about Minister Malcolm X, I was reminded uh, of that passage in the autobiography about where you said I would get my rifle and point it back at you all, uh, which that point pops up in your book repeatedly. You start out at the very beginning and you say, if I had been alive draft age at that time, 1941, I would have fought for the allies. I would not have been like Malcolm X would have signed up for the allies. Uh, why so? That's a very good question. I would say that ultimately I would have made that decision because most likely I would have been influenced by the position of the organized left, which took the position globally that Japan's alliance with Nazi Germany ultimately did not bode well for black people in the United States of America. However, I think a close or alert reader who reads my book may see that in some sense I contradict that point of view because I say that if World War II had gone in a different direction, that is to say if the United States and its allies had lost, there was a very strong likelihood that there would have been an ultimate showdown between Tokyo and Berlin. Just like we saw during World War II that Moscow was allied with Washington and World War II had barely ended in 1945 before that showdown between Washington and Moscow ensued. In fact, that showdown between Moscow and Washington is unfolding as we speak. In fact, we might be headed 
for the ultimate or the penultimate chapter of that decades-long struggle. So the question is not an easy one to answer, but that is my answer. Right on, right on. Uh, you and, and the chapter title, just so much information. So the chapter title, and you can share some of the information about the significance to be of pure European descent. <laughs> you talk about uh, Rudyard Kipling pops up, and this is just to give, as you said, some of this has been buried. So I don't think people get the typical notion of how front and center white supremacy racism was for everyone involved with this conflict, white or non-white, anywhere in the world. So in this chapter of pure European descent, uh, this is on page 22, you write Rudyard Kipling, the poet laureate of British colonialism, confirms this allegation. I hated the Chinaman before he began angrily. I hated him doubly as I choked for breath in his seething streets. His demented passion reaching a disturbing crescendo, he concluded, now I understand why the civilized European of Irish extraction kills the Chinaman in America. It is justifiable to kill him. It would be quite right to wipe the city of Canton off the face of the earth and to exterminate all the people who ran away from the shelling. The Chinaman ought not to count. These were not simply inflamed rhetorical outbursts. John Sutcliffe Whitehead, who served with the military in Hong Kong, noted pointedly that the white officer type always was armed. Why? Well, if there was a bloke in the marketplace and he was stealing, or something like that, the usual cry in the marketplace was, Stop! Thief! Stop! Thief! With that, he'd fire one shot in the air. If that had no avail upon the thief, bang! The next one went into him and they'd pick up the body. With no residual regret, he concluded, such was summary justice in Hong Kong at the time with British soldiers as police, judge, jury, and executioner. Your thoughts, Dr. Horn? Well, I think that that vignette illustrates a number of points. Uh, certainly, black people in North America are quite accustomed to an officer of the law acting as judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, that has been our sorry plight for decades, if not centuries, to this very day. But I feel compelled to, to, to issue a few footnotes. Uh, I was paying attention to that Black Soldier blues excerpt that you were playing before I came on. And it reminded me of something that I think your audience should be made aware of if they're not already. You might have noted that just the other day, after decades of struggle, the U.S. President Joseph R. Biden signed the uh, Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, making lynching a federal crime after a struggle that was launched decades ago. And with Emmett Till, and of course, your, your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Emmett Till, the black youth from Chicago who goes south to Mississippi in the mid-1950s and gets involved in some sort of scrape with Euro-Americans and winds up being dragged from his bed and lynched. Well, there have been a number of documentary movies, as you know, about Emmett Till. 
and understand why they omit this salient fact I'm about to bring to your attention. Salient fact being that one of the ways that they identified Emmett Till, apparently, was that he had a ring that belonged to his father. I think his father's name was Louis Till, who was executed during World War II, not unlike those vignettes from Black Soldier Blues, supposedly for sexual molestation of a European woman, which I found very ironic since, as you know, Emmett Till was lynched because of this confrontation with a European-American woman. I understand why the filmmakers might not include that because it doesn't comport with the kind of narrative arc they're trying to construct. But I always found that to, to be an intriguing parallel. Uh, that's uh, footnote number one. Footnote number two, back to the story of a race war. Uh, what's interesting, as I've spent time in Hong Kong and these other sites, India, Australia, Singapore, etc., Japan, of course, is, is that what happened <laughs> at the beginning of the 20th century is, this is relevant to what's going on today with regard to Russia, is that London, the British Empire, which saw itself as the leading power on planet Earth, uh, did not necessarily feel that it controlled the continent of Europe. Because if you look at your map uh, for centuries now, and certainly to this very day, uh, Russia has been the most populous European nation, about twice the size and population of the Federal Republic of Germany today. Most of the resources on the European continent or in Russia, gold, oil, palladium for planes, etc. And so what happened is that London finances Japan to attack Russia, and Japan wins. And this, this is 1904-1905, and this is hailed by Du Bois, Ho Chi Minh of Vietnam, Sun Yat-sen of China, Nehru of India, as being a turning point in the struggle against white supremacy, uh, which it was. But what it also illustrates, it reminds me of the story from Vietnam. I'm sure you recall the Vietnam War, when there was this uh, rather paradoxical, ironic trope, where the United States said that it, it had to destroy a village in order to save it which obviously makes no sense. But in some ways, London felt it had to inflict damage on white supremacy by funding Japan in order to save it. But that didn't work out because by 1941, 1942, it was Japan that delivered the knockout blow to the British Empire by seizing Hong Kong, 1941, uh, Singapore, 1942, to two, two of the major cash cows uh, of the British Empire, as those rather unfortunate comments by Rudyard Kipling that you quoted tended to suggest he was reacting so strongly because he was reacting to China trying to uh, break the iron grasp uh, of London. And uh, what, and of course, what, what follows is the atomic bombing of Japan, which I noted a moment or two ago in August 1945, and then with the United States supplanting uh, London, the British Empire, post-1945, with the question today being, is the United States about to be supplanted 
Uh, that's a live issue as we speak. Dr. Gerald Horn, his book, Race War, Context of White Supremacy. Uh, you already mentioned uh, Minister Malcolm X, uh, his teacher, Elijah Muhammad. Uh, the chapter names in this one alone, Asiatic Black Man with a question right. mark. <laughs> you, you already uh, discussed uh, but Mr. Malcolm, as, as you stated in his autobiography, hey, you give me that gun, psh, I will point it back at you uh, and many other people being impressed, uh, black people in the States with what Japan did against Russia, white people, uh, and then on into World War II. Specifically, you write, this is on page uh, 53, and this, in fact, it reminded me of the book Race Matters. The FBI secret file on black America from 1960 to mm. 1971, even though this is a little bit later, mm. but uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Kenneth O'Reilly talks extensively about, hey, he, and he's in fact, he goes back to World War One with Marcus Garvey, who's mentioned your book. He says, hey, we treat black people like garbage. Their loyalties are suspect, which is exactly what you say in your book. More eloquently, you write uh, Washington was not idly sitting by as these potentially seditious acts were unfolding. To the contrary, surveillance of Negroes was escalated and the reports agents were filing were not encouraging. In October 1919, for example, came the disturbing story from Los Angeles that Japan is planning trouble with Mexico against the United States. And it is reported that within the next 12 months, they are planning war in California. The Japs, that's it so many times in this book, my goodness, the Japs are enlisting and promising certain things to the colored people on the coast if they will join in with Japan and Mexico when the trouble is begun here in California. This information comes through a certain colored man now in this city from Gary, Indiana. He has been displaying a revolver. He said that he had it to shoot up any fresh white fellows within the event anything was started in this city at any time. This was corroborated by a Negro boot black in Los Angeles who said that the Japanese had been making overtures to the Negroes to side with them and that in a year or so they would take California and that when they when they did, the Negroes would be treated right. I'm just want to add one more paragraph before I get your commentary. I'm skipping that a little bit because it's not just black people in the States. It's black people all over the world to, uh-oh, <laughs> their loyalties might be suspect to the British crown, the U.S., white people in general. So globally, this is a little bit later on 106, you add, uh, the Negro response to Germany should be seen as more of a comment on London than on Berlin. Decades earlier, Negroes had been told that if they fought Germany in the war to end all wars, they would benefit. Instead, colonialism continued, falling heavily upon those of African descent. Hence, as London was under heavy assault from Berlin as the Pacific War approached, the colonial secretary was told that there was insistent anti-British talk brewing in Jamaica. They were just protesting, I thought, a couple days ago. A colony that supplied numerous black migrants to Harlem. 
Jamaicans had a hard time understanding why it was unacceptable for Berlin to deprive European nations of sovereignty but acceptable for London to do the same in the Caribbean. This alarmed the Jamaican left which moved a supportive pro-London resolution noting that many of the inhabitants of Jamaica were apparently inclined to be Axis sympathizers neighboring Haiti too had long admired Japan black people a global fifth column Dr. Horn <laughs> well vis-a-vis white supremacy yes <laughs> um, let, let me add a, a few points uh, one this concept of the Asiatic black man which you still hear invoked from time to time, from so-called conscious rappers, quote-unquote. I'm not sure that they understand the roots of that, which arises in the 1930s, when Japan is making this effort to attract black people to its column so that it could then help to destroy uh, Euro-American imperialism. And uh, this arises in the 1930s, particularly when Japan is courting Ethiopia, I guess you could say along with Liberia, which is kind of a neo-colony to U.S. imperialism, but Ethiopia being the independent African nation almost by itself, and of course that helps to attract those who come to call themselves Rastafarians in Jamaica because of their fascination with Ethiopia. But the point is that Japan was proposing in the 1930s that there be a merger between the royal families of Japan and Ethiopia. Now, those familiar with European history know that oftentimes uh, royal families in various countries uh, merge. I mean, for example, uh, Prince Philip, who just died, the spouse of the current monarch, Queen Elizabeth, uh, his roots, if I'm not mistaken, were in Greece, just as Queen Elizabeth's roots were in Germany for example, because of these mergers of royal families. And so that struck a chord with many black people, because if you even talk about uh, marrying a woman defined as white in North America in the 1930s, you might be lynched. And so that was one of the ploys that Japan was using to attract these black Americans. Then with regard to that quote uh, from Los Angeles, Either in, in, either in my book, Race War, or certainly in my book, uh, Black and Brown, African-Americans in the Mexican Revolution, 1910 to 1920, I talk about the Plan de San Diego or the Plan of San Diego, whereby uh, Washington thought that Japan was going to arm black and indigenous people in the borderlands, such as Texas, for example, and uh, have them uh, take over and have the United States basically balkanized with black and a black independent republic established on this soil in North America and a Native American independent uh, republic established on this soil. Obviously, this caused quite a bit of hysteria in Washington, needless to say. And then with regard to the point about uh, how this Japanese appeal was not just um, towards black people in North America. You mentioned Jamaica and Haiti and the Caribbean. Well, also in South Africa. South Africa was, was really uh, in a pickle 
in the 1940s, because on the one hand, it was trying to impose this uh, primitive white supremacy, uh, which in some ways outstripped its counterpart in North America. And on the other hand, the city of Durban faces the Indian Ocean. There are reports of Japanese submarines cruising off the coast of South Africa. South Africa was unsure what to do because Japan was making an appeal to these Africans who were suffering under the lash of white supremacy. And so South Africa was really uh, up a tree, so to speak. And the sighs of relief that were emitted in August 1945, when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, were perhaps uh, most evident uh, in Pretoria, South Africa. Wow. Context of white supremacy, Dr. Gerald Horn. I'm going a little bit out of order just because uh, Dr. Horn, now he just said South Africa was in a pickle. Okay, so I'm reading Dr. Horn. Dr. Horn's, uh, when you read his phenomenal scholarship, I can only say glance through the footnotes. So when we had Dr. Horn on last year, we discussed his book, uh, The Bitter Sweet Science. Excellent book. Excellent. We hit that footnote like, what are you talking about? This here thing with Larry Holmes. We have to go and dig, get the footnote for Ishmael Reed. Oh, oh my God, I'm stunned. What is going on? I come to this here book and I'm glancing through the footnotes. Lots of footnotes. So well researched. Five continents. I look through the footnotes and I stumble on double victory Mr. Takaki's book he just said pickle delectable negro for cows listeners this is on uh, page 170 one of the footnotes he uses in the book just he this is a double victory it reads but out here I've already gathered the feeling that the Japanese are looked upon as something inhuman and squirmy like some people feel about cockroaches or mice remember Pearl Harbor keep them dying declared a marine motto Admiral William Housley gave his men a direct order kill Japs kill Japs kill more Japs a marine captain declared we kill yellow rats if we don't kill them we won't be around for any peace so we hate and kill and live and he ordered his men to go into battle against the Japanese an American admiral urged his men to go and get some more monkey meat some American soldiers followed such orders literally they sadistically collected battlefield trophies scalps skulls bones and ears a marine at Guadalcanal bragged, I'm going to bring back some Jap ears, uh-oh, pickled. Robert Luckman recalled that he didn't collect ears of dead Japanese, but he knew some others did. We had been fed tales of these yellow thugs, subhumans, with teeth 
that resembled fangs. If a hundred thousand chaps were killed, so much the better. Two hundred thousand, even better. The gold teeth of corpses became collector's items. One soldier excitedly boasted, they say the Japs have a lot of gold teeth. I'm going to make myself a necklace. Marine Eugene B. Sledge watched a fellow soldier use his knife to hammer gold teeth from the mouth of a wounded Japanese soldier who could not move his arms. Comparing the Pacific War with the European War, historian John Dower wrote, it is a virtually inconceivable that teeth, ears, and skulls could have been collected from German or Italian war dead and publicized in the Anglo-American countries without provoking an uproar. And in this, we have yet another inkling of the racial dimensions of the war. The taking of war trophies, especially scalps, was a legacy of an earlier racialized war, the winning of the West. When I was a young boy, a soldier said we always played cowboys and Indians, and when I landed on Guadalcanal, that's what I felt like. I was playing a game. It was not real, even though I knew it was real. Marines frequently saw the Japanese attackers as whooping like a bunch of wild Indians. Jungle combat against the Japanese was often characterized as Indian fighting and the perimeter outside American military control was called Indian country. Commenting on Japanese fighting skills, Colonel Milton A. Hill described the Japs as good at infiltration too as good as Indians ever were. Rephrasing an old frontier adage Admiral Housie declared the only good Jap is a Jap who's been dead six months. You should check Dr. Horn's footnotes when you read his works. Wow. Dr. Horn, this is from Double Victory, even though he does quote from this in Race War. Dr. Horn? Well, yeah, footnotes are important because they not only point the alert reader to where you might want to substantiate that I got this quotation or fact correct, but also history it's like Lego blocks. It's a, it's a 50 years from now, assuming that humanity still survives, uh, there might be another scholar who wants to tackle a similar subject. And therefore, they can look at my footnotes and try to build upon what I did at the beginning of the 21st century. Uh, also, you mentioned Pearl Harbor. For those who might have missed that history class, uh, that takes place on December 7th, 1941, when Japan attacks the U.S. base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Uh, they catch Uncle Sam with his pants down, and thousands of U.S. nationals are killed. Uh, a black hero by the name of Dory Miller emerges. Uh, he was in the Navy, like most black men in the Navy at that time. He had a third-class position. But supposedly he, he grabbed 
an anti-aircraft gun and started shooting down Japanese planes, and he became sort of a folk hero. Also, the existence of Dory Miller was used to try to woo black Americans away from Tokyo, uh, who, as I noted, uh, Tokyo had been wooing black Americans for some time, which brings me to a point I might have abbreviated in the previous segment, which is this notion of the Asiatic black man. Many of the black nationalists, uh, they were not necessarily inspired by Africa, Ethiopia aside, uh, namely the uh, Rastafarians, which I've already referenced. And so they were inspired by Japan, however. And so many of them, that's where the concept of Asiatic black man comes from. They were identifying uh, with Japan, Asiatic, black man. And uh, that's where it comes from. Uh, With regard to dehumanization, a lot of what you were quoting uh, was dealing with how the Euro-American elite oftentimes found it necessary to dehumanize those who they were confronting. For example, indigenous people, Native Americans in the first instance, when they invaded this continent and began to sweep the Native Americans out from their land, of course, part of the rationale was that these Native Americans were actually part of the human family. And I'm sure I don't have to tell your listeners about uh, this notion that Africans were not necessarily part of the human family, which gave a rationalization and justification for enslaving uh, Africans. And then with regard to that point further, uh, note that on the U.S. Pacific coast, from Seattle to San Diego, you had Japanese-American communities that were swept aside, were interned, uh, interned in the interior of the United States of America, or in the interior of California, for example. And what's striking, and your listeners, I'm sure, are wondering about this as I speak, well, why wasn't the German-American community from Bangor, Maine, to Key West, Florida, uh, interned likewise, particularly since we know that uh, Berlin had sent across the Atlantic uh, their soldiers to infiltrate uh, so-called white communities because, of course, uh, they could easily, uh, quote, pass, unquote. And uh, that aspect of the war as much as any, it seems to me, uh, helps to illustrate the pernicious nature of white supremacy uh, during World War II. And I should say further that uh, it's not coincidental, it's not accidental that in the wake of World War II, particularly in the wake of the Pacific War, that you see this agonizing retreat from the more horrible aspects of Jim Crow because Washington came to realize that Jim Crow was a national security issue as evidenced by the fact that Tokyo had made these appeals to black Americans and some, as I noted, were willing to join a Japanese invasion of North America when beckoned. And in the epical Brown versus Board of Education, U.S. Supreme Court decision of 1954, wherein the highest court in the land says that 
You know what? Jim Crow is actually constitutional. The court also notes pointedly that this is not just a decision based upon the reading of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It's also based upon a reading of national security. Uh, Of course, by that time, the United States was involved in another conflict, this time the Cold War with the Soviet Union, with uh, many black Americans like Paul Robeson, for example, uh, being attracted to Moscow's banner. And so it was felt that if black people were treated a tad more with a tad more sympathy, that they would be less prone, less likely to defect to the banner of whatever antagonist Washington was facing. And I think that that fundamental lesson oftentimes has been lost in the 21st century because many of our intellectuals and organizations do not seem to recognize that if you're really sincerely interested in seeing an erosion of white supremacy and getting this boot off of our neck, you really need to think globally. You really need to think internationally. Uh, Otherwise, it seems to me you're just bathing in naivete. Mm, mm, mm. I think somebody did write a book called uh, Artist as Revolutionary. That's a whole biography on Paul. Oh, that was you. We read that in the book club. Fantastic work as well. Uh, I'm just uh, following Dr. Horn's lead now, setting them up, knocking them down. So he said they caught the U.S. with their pants down at Pearl Harbor. (laughs) And I'm tracking metaphors. So common theme between the bittersweet science. There were many things, many, many things uh, that stood out as important in that text. You should definitely read. But wow. Larry Holmes proposition by Howard Cosell what you gotta read the footnotes on that one like what so we come to this one now we've moved ahead in race war so now we're in the chapter race reversed gender transformed this is page 148 Dr. Horns writes the Japanese he said were exceptionally cunning or perceptive in selecting an effeminate spineless Royal Army Service Corps officer, one Major Boone, to act as liaison officer between the camp and them. Major Boone, seen by many of the intern as a collaborator, had also, in their eyes, lost a prized possession, his manliness. Lewis Bush described him as an effeminate-looking individual, well-shaved, powdered and perfumed and well uniformed with a slender waist which seemed to indicate that he used corsets they gave him a nickname queenie many of the men felt the loss of their masculinity deeply and performed what they felt in various ways Lewis Bush was the master of ceremonies at an event featuring a beauty chorus of handsome young men dressed as girls with Japanese captors as the audience our girls were a tremendous hit he thought they looked quite fascinating in the penultimate scene the lead girl threw his bouquet to a Japanese officer we do not know whether either blushed 
tongue-in-cheek Dr. Horn. I'm skipping down just a little bit to 149. <laughs> this kind of performance was not peculiar to Hong Kong or unique to the British, though they were the ones who raised it to the highest art. Their male prisoners taking female parts, attractive young men who could act like attractive young women. They drew wolf whistles. Emmett Till, are you serious? They drew wolf whistles, stage door johnnies, even Japanese guards bringing gifts, cigarettes, candy, perfumed soap. In such an intensely homosocial environment, homosexuality flourished. In one camp, something like 25 homosexual couples were getting counseling from one of the American doctors. There were variations on this theme. Captain Crum Chatty was charged before the war in Hong Kong with homosexual offenses with a Chinese boy. Disgrace, dismal, dismissal, and imprisonment followed. But he was released to fight the Japanese and displayed outstanding courage and leadership in the battle for Stanley. Wow. Can you talk about because you have lots of this, but I mean, loss of white manhood in World War Two. Did I miss that in Patton? Where is that talked about? <laughs> well, I'm sure you realize and many of your listeners realize that generally speaking, when an invader oppresses a group, oftentimes there is sexual molestation of not only the women, but the men. With regard to the former, it reminds me of this movie that came out some years ago, which actually I recommend. It's very interesting. Uh, Paradise Road with uh, Kate Blanchett and Glenn Close. <laughs> it takes place in a Japanese prison of, of war camp in uh, Indonesia. And what's interesting is that most of these folks are living large, these Europeans, they're living large in Singapore. And the movie begins <laughs> with these British people partying like it's 1939. Uh, of course, this is 1942, and they hear a boom, and they, they look around. People look at each other, you know, they keep partying. Then it's another louder boom, and then these Japanese guys uh, invade the party and say, "You know, you, you people are all under detention." And the movie un unfolds from there. And what's interesting to get to the to, to the point is that many of these European women decide that just to and by their own admission, uh, just to get access to hot water and a decent meal to become mistresses of Japanese military men. And as I was watching that, it reminded me of the compromises that many oppressed women have to make in order to survive. Uh, I get to, to, not to put too fine a point on it, but I guess you could say they become de facto prostitutes. Now, with regard to the men, that's less discussed, perhaps because men tend to write the histories and it's a very sensitive point. But I felt compelled to in include that because I think that 
we need a similar history with regard to how men of African descent have been treated by oppressors. Now, there's a recent uh, University of Georgia press book. I think it's called Reading Rufus. It's not that long. It, 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 it supposedly is about that subject I've just sketched about the uh, oppression or the sexual oppression of uh, black men under slavery. But but for for a future researcher, I, I won't make an editorial judgment about that book, but I will point it in your direction. But for a future researcher, and I've told graduate students this for years, it wouldn't be that hard to, to write a book on that subject. All you have to do is look at court cases, because one of the things about court cases in the United States is that they're very well indexed and very well organized. Uh, you only need a couple of key words and voila, a number of court cases would emerge and that would be your resource base. And then you could just follow those court cases into newspapers and to memoir literature and to biographies, uh, et cetera. And I think it's a subject that needs further exploration because I think it would shed crucial light on the question of black masculinity and speaking of black masculinity and trying to be uh, ultra trendy, it might even shine light on what some have interpreted as toxic masculinity as reflected in the last 48 to 72 hours with the slap heard around the world in Los Angeles. So timely, Dr. Gerald Horn and uh, context of white supremacy. We've been here for 13 years. What have we been doing for 13 years? One of those programs was with Thomas A. Foster, Rethinking Rufus, Sexual Violations oh, okay. of yeah. Enslaved so you, you Men. Yeah. Yes, indeed, indeed. On yeah. our assignment, sir. Uh, in fact, let me pull one more footnote. Uh, so stay on the same page. Just pull down. Uh, in Australia, as in the United States, one of the key obsessions that sustained the continued existence of segregation was the Ori chestnut that white women could only be partners of white men, with Negroes, men and women alike, viewed as hypersexual and dangerously and compellingly attractive. At the same time, there was thought to be a high incidence of homosexuality among black American troops stationed in Australia, which both ratified and challenged these more traditional notions so this is footnote 131 what's footnote 131 uh, the reception of black American servicemen in Australia during World War II the resilience of white Australia so scroll down doot, 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 doot. what is this here footnote so it reads as soon as he spoke, we knew he came. Oh, make sure I get it correctly. As soon as various official sources confirm these allegations, although they, they do not provide substantive. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was right the first time. As soon as he spoke, he knew he came from the Deep South where the Ku Klux Klan operates. We told him the reports we heard about shootings in the showground and that people reporting it feared that the Negro soldiers were being shot. He did not deny it, but said this disciplinary action was necessary to prevent the Negroes becoming uppish or uppity, I think was the term he used. Various official sources confirm these allegations, although they do not provide substantive details. The Queensland State Publicity Center, obeying instructions from the Federal Department of Information, 
on November 9, 1943, ordered that no broadcast of shootings of Negro <laughs> soldiers in Sydney by U.S. provost be issued. Furthermore, it was deemed that reference to racial problems in Southwest Pacific area, riot stories, death of Japanese POWs, or any reference to Negro black colored soldiers were officially banned. Despite extensive research conducted both in Australia and in the United States, no more information could be obtained about this particular shooting in Sydney. Interviews conducted with either prominent pol uh, politically active citizens in various areas of Queensland revealed that they believed the U.S. military police or shore patrols had on various occasions shot black servicemen. Scrolling down just to me. Oh, there it is. Make sure I get in my correct footnote. The homosexuality is commonly believed in southern states that there are licensed brothels in Queensland. This is not so, though the police insist that girls living in certain houses who are known to be prostitutes shall have regular examinations. In Brisbane, there are some 20 of these houses, and in Townsville, two or three. The American forces have set up several such places with Australian girls for the use of Negro troops, much to the disgust of many civilians. General Patrick Hurley reported in the previous year that in Townsville, white and Negroes line up together in whorehouses where Negroes are accepted. However, a careful scrutiny of the police department records reveals that most prostitutes who catered for black Americans in Brisbane were Aborigines rather than Anglo-Australians. On the other hand, this procedure protected respectable white women from unwanted glances. One issue that did not elicit any public reaction was the high incidence of homosexuality among black American troops stationed in Australia. Certainly, any open discussion of the subject of homosexuality was socially unacceptable. Yet, in light of the obsessive preoccupation with blacks supposedly contaminating white women, homosexuality could surely have been regarded as a means by which decent Australian women, white, could remain inviolate. Check the footnotes with Dr. Horn's work. This is the reception of black American servicemen in Australia during World War II. What are your, your thoughts about this? They said high incidence of homosexuality amongst the black troops that were stationed there. Well, when you were reading that, I was thinking of a number of things. Uh, first thing I thought of, I'm, I'm, I'm doing research on a book on the Black Panther Party right now. And so just today I was reading the words of their founder, Huey P. Newton, and he's talking about homosexuality in, in prison. Uh, which, of course, was quite common. And he even speaks about it amongst prison guards, which is something I was not altogether familiar with. And as you may know, the Black Panther Party was probably the first organization, uh, per Huey, in fact, to uh, try to form coalitions. This is in the early 70s, late 60s, with uh, militant gay rights groups. And this was seen as somewhat uh, contrary to what was perceived to be the Black Panther image of being hyper-masculine, etc. Uh, and that's something I'm going to have to deal with uh, in this uh, book, uh, forthcoming, that I have not written yet, by the way. And then, as you were reading those words, I was thinking of the impact 
that uh, black Americans had in Australia and in New Zealand uh, to a certain degree. Because uh, it's now established, first of all, as you probably know, the, the indigenous people of, Ma- of uh, New Zealand, the Maoris, and the people across the Tasman in Australia, who we've called Aboriginal, uh, many of them could easily pass for black American. I mean, if basketball fans in your audience might be familiar with the Brooklyn Nets and their effective point guard, Patty Mills who many probably think is a black American, given his surname, but actually he's uh, Australian Aboriginal, for example. And that Patty Mills is is, is somewhat an updated version of the impact that these uh, black American soldiers had down under uh, in the continent of Australia and inspiring militancy, for example, amongst the other trends. Super important. When you mentioned Patty Mills, I thought you were going to say the Brooklyn Nets point guard, Kyrie Irving, uh, because he's also... Well, actually, he's Australian too, you know. I mean, mean, he was born in Australia. He was born in Australia, excuse me. Right, that's... Although, he's a black American. Uh, he wears his Australian hat all the time, though he does rap. Uh, probably has dual citizenship. Uh, let's see. I had one question about... Uh, I'll get that in. We had a listener who had a question as well. Uh, one quick question. You uh, also do the Freedom Now uh, radio broadcast, uh, KPFK. And uh, you recently had uh, Dr. J. Russell Hawkins uh, as a guest on the program yeah. uh, discussing yeah. his book. Uh, the Bible told them so uh, Southern evangelicals fight to preserve white supremacy. Now that's rare to have two books, both with white supremacy in the title. He, uh, when we had him speaking, what he just said, when you have individuals who are defeated and you end up having uh, the females and even the males rethinking Rufus, who might be in a position of prostitution. uh, Strom Thurmond's uh, is a really prominent character in that book. uh, The Bible told them so. And Mm -hmm. specifically, so many times, uh, Dr. Hawkins talks about how white people were writing Senator, Governor Thurman. We got to do something. We got these raping black males, you know, these Emmett Tills. They're going to rape our girls. We can't have them in school. Even had one passage where he said it could be a Negro bus driver who's going to put their daughter on a school bus with a Negro bus driver. And the sun isn't up. Sun isn't even up yet. Uh, And all this, I said, Dr. Horn, that's great and everything. But you totally omit Strom Thurman raped a 15 year old in his Mm -hmm. house he's Mm -hmm. 25 like you leave Mm -hmm. that out of your book entirely Uh, and he says well I did know that he had a child with Carrie Butler but I didn't know that she was 15 that this was child rape and I said Dr. Uh, Hawkins doctor you have a doctorate you had editors on your staff <laughs> like, oh, he said, you know that he had, you know, that he had sex with this black female, but you didn't know she was 15. Like, that is totally unacceptable. And particularly because this just continues the same racist legacy of covering up white rapists. You mentioned that Chinese boy, white rapists and child rapists uh, at that, taking advantage of a 15 year old black woman, female, even if she had been 55 how much agency would she have had to say no to a white mm. man mm. at that time in South Carolina or Alabama? Hey, even now, 2025, how much agency would she have to say no 
to a white man, Dylan Stormroof or any other in South Carolina. But it was so many reasons. I said, man, this takes a book that does have a lot of constructive information. You leaving this out for any reason, whether you did it purposely, whether you did it because you didn't know that is totally unacceptable and maybe a deliberate act of racism. What do you think about him not Mm. including that information? Well, so so you interviewed him, I take it. Yes, sir. About two weeks ago. Oh, good. And so how how did you know about freedom now on KPFK? Uh, One of our uh, listeners is a big, rewind. Many of our listeners are big fans of your work as they should be. So they listen to uh, your your segment uh, over there and they heard your interview with him like, wow, this sounds like such a great book. Like, this is amazing. Did you know about this book? That's how I heard about the segment that you did with him. Yeah. Well, obviously, it's a, shall we say, uh, euphemistically, a grievous omission. You know, I've done research at Clemson University in South Carolina, uh, where they have this sort of, uh, what's the term? It's not a museum, but it's this building uh, constructed to honor one J. Strom Thurmond. And for listeners who may not be familiar, he was a leader of white supremacy from his perch in South Carolina. And so what's interesting is when you go in to that building, because they have archives, they have all these archives, there, which are, of course are, are, are quite intriguing. I've used it for a number of projects, his archives. And they have a picture <laughs> of him with his so-called white family. And then adjacent is a picture of what might be called his uh, black daughter offspring, uh, who is the product of that union that you made reference to. Um, and it's, it's a very curious uh, assemblage, I, I, I must say. Um, so, um, oh, let me also, since I have the, the microphone, that uh, Freedom Now comes on KPF. Los Angeles, kpfk.org on Saturdays, 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. So check it out. KPFK Freedom Now, Dr. Gerald Horn. That's where I heard his interview with Dr. Hawkins. I just... Do you think that's important? Hemley, you said it was a... a, I I do not... uh, speak euphemistically about individuals classified as white I don't have a doctorate I don't have a staff uh, people that fund my work and I knew Strom Thurmond raped the 15 year old black female child rape as a white person and you have a doctorate you wrote a book on this and you have editors none of your editors looked at this and said hey you got all this talk about raping little white girls and child rape at that and we can't get one line. Oh, yeah, he did actually rape a black child. The hypocrisy. I mean, do you think that's significant? Leaving that out like that's that's major. Like that's that's like, whoa, <laughs> like editors. Everyone is indicted for this. Well, not only editors, but as you know, in this process, I think the book was published by Oxford, if I'm not mistaken. And you have anonymous readers. That is to say, peer is peer review. That, that's how this 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 business works. And so, well, yeah, that, that reminds me that you have peer review, and so perhaps you can indict the peers. There are usually at least two anonymous readers. 
But then when you get into this editorial process, as I oftentimes tell people who criticize my work, <laughs> that, you know, it's not only my name that's on, on the, the cover, it's also, say, New York University's name is on the cover. I remember one book I published for New York University Press, they made me cut 300 pages. Wow. Book. I mean, that's like another book, basically. And, you know, with these publishers, you go back and forth. And, you know, it's just like any other struggle. I mean, you, you win a few, you lose a few. And so with regard to J. Russell Hawkins, uh, you, 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 you interrogated him, so you, you have a better feel for that. But when I sense something like that, oftentimes I, I look at it through my lens and say maybe he had a struggle with the publisher. The publisher said strike this for whatever reason. And uh, he had won a few battles and decided to lose this one. So I don't know. Who knows? He went with he didn't know she was 15. He did know that she had a child with Carrie Butler, but he didn't know that she was 15, which none of oh. that, in my view, exonerates no inclusion of that like I told him in my view this is an act of white supremacy racism you leaving this information out because you didn't know about Carrie Butler and it would include the edit like whole lots of people should have red flag and he said he's been doing interviews for a year I was the only person who raised an issue with this like wow and I, I know it can't be the I'm the only person that knows this that's hogwash this was all over the front page of the New York Times and LA Times and they got her name on the statue as he said Carrie Butler so apparently lots of folks don't have a problem with black children being sexually exploited just don't mention it uh, did you have well, Thomas, start, start with Thomas Jefferson <laughs> in the program Sally Hemings it's the exact same thing she was a child she was a teen I said the exact same thing doctor it's institutional covering up for white child rapists male and female rethinking Rufus Thomas A. Foster did you have time for one quick question from our listener before we let you enjoy the rest sure. of your evening let's see sure 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 uh, uh, caller at 2262 2262 did you have a question for Dr. Gerald Horn you should be with us maybe hurt yes sir uh, thank you guys for taking my call and uh, thank you Dr. Horn for spending a little of your time with us um, my question is um, in your book do you um, have accounts of white women um, engaging in acts of white uh, white supremacy racism oh yeah 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 uh i you know that book race war came out almost two decades ago i've written maybe 15 books since then so i can't pluck out anything specific but uh i mean you know my interlocutor has read the book. Do you recall anything? From oh, that? yeah. If you give me, <laughs> give me, I highlighted one towards the end where you talked about uh, how some of the Chinese said that the white women were the worst. Oh, just give me 30 seconds and I'll, uh, oh, let's see. Oh, bing. Didn't even need 30 seconds. Just as buses became the flashpoint for confrontations over racial segregation in the United States, in Hong Kong, the fairies did so. 
European women were charged with being key transmitters of bigoted ideas. Britain's worst ambassadors are the women, said one man bluntly mm. on the Star Ferry. He saw two British women sitting next to a Chinese man in European dress. They exclaimed in high dudgeon, is this a British ferry or not? Then they walked <laughs> off. Didn't they realize, he asked in reference to Tokyo, that the racial discrimination of former years paid sorry dividends in the long run. The British need to take stock of new conditions in this old world of ours, a white skin, he concluded in words that many found hard to accept does not mean superiority. That's a pretty good one, right? Yeah, you may want to interview Stephanie Jones Rogers at UC Berkeley. She wrote this book on white women slave owners in the United States South. The book is called They Were Her Property. It's published by Yale University Press. And even if you don't interview her, the caller might want to read that book if that's his, his subject. That is to say, a white supremacy coming from Euro-American women. Did I get your question, sir? Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call, sir. And thank you, Dr. Horn, for spending a little time with us. And yes, um, I'm definitely aware of the book. They were her property. I've not uh, read it yet, but I'm definitely intrigued. And thank you again for a little of your time. And that's all. Thank you. For mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Henry in Chicago is a big fan of your work as well. I see him listening in. I don't know if he had a question. I guess I'll check really quick. Henry in Chicago, did you have a quick question or are you just listening in? I know he's a big fan of your work as well, sir. Uh, uh, hello, uh, gentlemen. Um, unfortunately, out of all of the Dr. Horn books that I've read, I have not read this one. So now that's another Dr. Horn book that uh, I'm going to get. So, uh, you know, expect another royalty check from me, Dr. Horn. Oh, <laughs> I my oh. I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't I don't know if these are the type of books that you get rich for. Like you tend to get rich off of books like I don't the bell curve. Something like that. You, exactly. do you get, have exactly. you made a lot of money off of race war, Dr. Horn? Oh, please. <laughs> if I had to live on that, I I'd be to use the current phrase, unhoused. <laughs> One of the best books. I have ever read uh, just amazing scholarship. Uh, thank you. Like I said, I wish I had read this book. I was like uh, Henry in Chicago. I hadn't read this book. Then we read The Man in the High Castle, and I had no idea who Tojo was. If I had read this in advance, whew, I'd have been smoking uh, going into that one. But make up for it better late than never. Uh, what, what is the Black Panther book going to be before we let you depart? What oh, is you know, I've just started on this book, although it, it's, it's taken over my life. And because um, it's, so, it's such an interesting topic from my point of view. And I'm dealing with the Black Panther Party in Southern California, uh, where which was their strongest chapter. It was also where the most Panthers were killed. The most Panthers were incarcerated. So th th this will take a few years to, to hmm. produce since I've just started. Well, 
you certainly have enough material that we can read in the meantime facing the rising sun uh, amongst others so we will not pout uh, but we will definitely be uh, eagerly awaiting uh, the latest installment incidentally you mentioned uh, the prison guards being involved in the uh, rape of male prisoners and such uh, doctor or not doctor uh, Alan Hornbloom his book acres of skin human human experiments at Holmesburg prison talks about that as well uh, they were doing these experiments and some of the black inmates uh, they would get cash and he talks about in the book how that fueled a lot of the homosexual activity because some of the inmates they could stockpile their cash and use it to purchase like an inmate that they wanted in their cell or whatever they could bribe the guards and all the guards were involved pick out who they wanted to have sex with all, just oh, horrible all the way around but the experiments were part yeah. of that because it put so much cash in their hands that they had a lot more power to manipulate guards everyone uh acres of skin alan hornbloom two-time guest on the cows well i'll check it out i'll check it out i appreciate it for sure uh thank you so much for sharing a bit of your wednesday evening with us continue your uh just phenomenal scholarship dr horn we'll be waiting on the next installment sir well thank you for inviting me for sure for sure take excellent care we'll speak soon all right bye-bye good evening that was dr Gerald Horn, a fantastic book like man uh, to be able to read, I guess, uh, hopefully uh, people who listen to the cows, like all the authors and such that we have on the program, like uh, you're able to read a book that's informative and you're able to learn some things, inspires you to check the footnotes and what have you should be like, oh, wow, oh, I've learned so much. Oh, that type of feeling It's so well researched, like man to visit. I don't. I don't know how many people read books where the author went to five different continents to research what they put together, but wow. Anywho, uh, book club that like, wow, in so many different ways, like this is total advertisement for the book club. The only reason today's program happened is because of the book club. I didn't even enjoy the man in the high castle, mostly because the people who voted for us to read that book didn't participate but it was constructive that's how I read this uh, this here book uh, so the book <clears throat> both bookends uh, of the book club with Dr. Uh, or not Dr. but S.E. May Washington Williams her uh, memoir Dear Senator uh, continuing tomorrow and <sighs> the book club I'm People, so many people have said for years, you know, it's hard for them to listen to the book club for whatever reason. They don't like listening to audio online or it's difficult for them to pay attention for a book. You know, you might have to follow along with the book, be reading along and really extract all the information. But even if you read the books on your own, the cows book club. Very informative. I think if you just pick like half of the books that we met, maybe even just pick 10 you would learn a lot, especially because we end up reading a lot of like nonfiction memoirs and the like, like what we're reading right now. Uh, but I thought that was so important at the end. I had to get that question about uh, Dr. J. Russell Hawkins. Um, egregious. Like I do. I'm not euphemistic with white people. This is a white man with a doctorate and all that. And for him to just say that he didn't know she was 15. No act of white supremacy racism like I said there's so many that's one thing since I've been able to visit the University of Washington's library a little bit they have so many 
front page report, not just buried in the back of the paper, like front page of the New York Times, where they're talking about, oh, Carrie Butler was 15, Strom Thurmond is 23, and you have people writing articles calling it that. What else can you call it? And that's and I'm so glad Dr. Horn said that Thomas Jefferson, because Gus T said that to Dr. Hawkins, this isn't just you as an individual. This is white people collectively do this. They lie and cover up all of this child rape that's been going on for decades right there in rethinking Rufus. That's a lot of times we're not even talking about raping of black men. We're talking about raping black boys. that not was that's in the archives you can go back in j russell hawkins but that's why we're reading essie may washington williams memoir right now and because we're reading that book what does she start with same thing we heard at the beginning of this program raping black males essie may washington williams book starts with uh zachariah walker black male who was lynched close to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right? Not way down south or whatever. She starts with that. I was going to get a autobiography on that book, which I did get, and I'm trying to see if we can get that off on the program. Uh, but while at the University of Washington Library, I discovered that they have a whole lynching section. Could have fooled me. And a whole lynching section just on the lynchings of black males delectable negro get the teeth and everything that you heard me read so I look at I, it was so many books and I didn't come to oh let me hang out in the lynching section and see what books they got that was not the reason why I was there so I went to you know for finish my assignment but I did take pictures so I took pictures I posted some of them uh, when I was able to look at the pictures after I left the library, it was like, wow, I didn't even pay attention to some of these titles like White Man's Heaven. What? One of the books that I didn't really get to pay attention to at the altar of lynching. The lynching of Sam Hose. I didn't even know who Sam Hose was until I picked up this book written by a white man. He should be with us this coming what is Sunday. That's April 3rd. Yeah. And at an irregular time uh, Sunday, I don't like moving the time of our program. I absolutely hate it. Confuses listeners and all the rest of it confuses Gus. Um, however, the author of at the altar of lynching, a white man in his nineties, no less. Billy Fuller esque. Um, he said that the program he's, totally down for interview but he said it, the program needed to be after 10 a.m. Eastern before 4 p.m. Eastern and it could not conflict with any of the scheduled times for the University of North Carolina or the Duke Blue Devils Crystal Mangum Duke lacrosse team the Duke Blue Devils basketball team any of their games Gus T is not a uh, basketball fan or sports fan in general so I had to go pull up the NCAA schedule <laughs> and lo and behold North Carolina and Duke are still alive in March Madness and all of that so 
uh, we had to pick a date and time Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central, 11 a.m. Pacific. Gusty really unhappy about that, like 11 a.m. for a broadcast time, eight thumbs down. Anywho, at the altar of lynching, Dr. Matthews, white man, will be on the program and in no conflict with Duke and North Carolina, who are actually playing each other at the Final Four. I'm sure he's giddy about that, Mr. Uh, or Dr. Matthews. He actually attended both universities, so he's he wins either way. Anywho, um, what can I say? The book, just the book that we talked about mostly today, Race War, phenomenal. I'll see if folks have any uh, thoughts on what they heard from Dr. Horn, but wow, uh, I would say to any of the folks who say that if you are not classified as black, you are a white man or white woman you should read this book I guess you could submit that things may have changed from now but all of that uh, my president what it is it comes from China that would tend to make me think that yeah that is not the case that individuals who practice white supremacy racism they don't think that way that's not the way that they perceive whom is accepted uh, able to be uh, on the white team, so to speak. Uh, they are much more discerning uh, about who's uh, a member. Uh, let's see. The feminization I thought was really important as well. Um, especially white men, especially that's coming up now again, a loss of white manhood. They were saying so much about President Trump. That was his goal. That was his ambition and white manhood and angry white men who feel like they're losing out uh, in all of this white people wearing dresses pretending to be girls not even women girls after losing to the Japanese mm, mm, mm. what does it mean to be white I would love to hear Dr. Welsing's thoughts about which I had read this earlier that way I could uh, have presented this like what do you think about this did you know about this like my goodness the great equalizer when that is not enough oh my goodness what happens to the man he's wearing a dress and pretending to be a girl and for Japanese soldiers no less they even had one speaking of Welsing moment they even had a different soldier he wasn't dressing up like a girl he was acting like a dog they said he would get on all fours they called him dog man and bark he bit a Japanese officer when he was interned what in the world? Wellsing moment, if nothing else, but what in the world? Amazing. Uh, let's see. I'll check, see if folks have any comments here they would like to uh, get in. Check my notes, make sure. And have other comments. So we'll be here tomorrow for the book club, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. S.E. May Washington Williams, dear Senator, third session. She just found out that she has a white father. Wow, the book is. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, I picked this one. And the only reason, only reason, we're reading this text is because of Dr. Hawkins' conduct on the program. If he had, if he'd had just one sentence, one paragraph in the Bible, told them so about S.E. May Washington Williams, Carrie Butler, maybe we would have been reading a different book. 
but he didn't. So that's what we're reading. Dear Senator, it's been amazing. Uh, we'll continue uh, tomorrow. Remember, we'll continue tomorrow. We haven't even included any of the interviews that Essie Mae Washington Williams gave before she passed away. We'll start to hear from her directly uh, tomorrow. That was deliberate. We had audio about other subject matter, but man, I'm so uh, looking forward. I think I posted some of the videos as what uh, that she's done. You can check online. She did quite a few interviews on major outlets, including 60 Minutes. But wow, it is fascinating to study the results, the product, if you will, of a tragic arrangement. Why are they called tragic arrangements? Whew. Very sad illustration. Word for the whole book could easily be confusion. Anyway, but that's tomorrow. Neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and uh, Saturday, compensatory call-in. 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Sunday, irregular time. Dr. Matthews will be here. We'll talk about his book. Uh, I'll give out one quote and then I'll check, see if folks have any uh, thoughts. Uh, this is just, there's so many great quotes in the book, but this is one uh, Dr. Horn included from Adam Clayton Powell, black congressman from Harlem, was of like mind as he saw it in the fall of 1942. The difference between Nazism and crackerocracy is very small. Crackerocracy is a pattern of race hatred. The late, great Adam Clayton Powell, senior, known uh, for being able to drop a, a line or two, crackerocracy. That is one Gus T will remember. It does seem like that's kind of uh, maybe a little bit close to name calling, but wowzers. The late, great Adam Clayton Powell, senior. Uh, let's see. Uh, any of the folks uh, who are with us. I'll see if they have any commentary they'd like to share what they heard from uh, the great Dr. Gerald Horn. Uh, let's see. Uh, 222, uh, excuse me, 2262 should be with us. I'll see if any other folks have thoughts, observations, what they heard. Any any thoughts or folks content? Might be content might be content if you don't have race war in your library you should not just in your library read it it is a longer book and it's kind of dense um, if you are not like a, a World War II buff Gusty is not you might have to go a little bit slower take your time as you're learning the new information check that that's all I can say is check the footnotes you don't have to read every one you don't have to go and, you know, dig up every single book and uh, report and magazine article and what have you that he uh, lists. And you wouldn't be able to get all of them because some of them, these are documents that he like went to the library in Australia and other places like masterful scholarship. But just give a glance at the footnotes and see if any other books uh, that are available might catch your eye. You might find something else that you want to read. It is fascinating material especially if you have any confusion about so-called Asian people and where they rank even uh, yeah so-called Asian people uh, and even black people born outside the US and how they function how they're treated in the system of racism white supremacy wow amazing read uh, let's see the some of the other folks who dialed in so folks who dialed in 
any thoughts, comments from what they heard, Dr. Uh, Gerald Horn? Can you hear it? Yes, sir. Um, greetings, guys. Greetings, callers and listeners. The broadcast was um, very constructive. It reiterated and reemphasized that um, in the system of white supremacy, um, war is fun to people who classify themselves as white. They have fun bashing in teeth, collecting chickens in the form of um, golden human teeth. They have fun maiming um, non-white people. This is fun for them. More motivation for non-white people to be very serious about suspecting um, people who call, who call themselves white and motivation to want to produce a system of justice because <clears throat> to be amongst a group of people where war is fun is quite um, bizarre and very, very, very incorrect and um, motivation to want to solve this problem ASAP. And I'm going to meet my line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say urgency. I say that all the time. It, at the conclusion of every program, it's not replace white supremacy with justice. It is replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible or immediately. But a sense of urgency. I mean, I am so that that's the reason why I included that, why I read that lengthy passage. Uh, it's not, you know, just uh, I don't even know what the other motivation could be. It's not like there's anything cool about reading. That's not anything uh, special in the system of, of white supremacy, although they do do a phenomenal job, racist educators of uh, discouraging, obstructing many black scholars, young black students from reading and doing well at school. But I mean, whew, that's why reading is more important than watching television you can learn a lot about the system of white supremacy racism and I mean did you hear that bragging who who makes it a game you had so many people saying that throughout the book and him quoting who makes that a game collecting to, and to even specify it's not fun the rules of this game say that I don't get teeth from a dead chink jap oh no 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 that's not fun I get the teeth from a live jet. Who does this? Who behaves like this? And and it's it's bunches of these types of references. Like I read the longer passage, but I mean it's uh these lines throughout the text. Let me see if I can find one of the other ones uh really quick. This is on about midway through race war let's see so this is on page 226 race at war Dr. Horn writes Japan was aware of the cruelty with which its troops were treated and like Negro soldiers it too connected this to white supremacy his word symbolizing the zenith of 20th century American barbarism it reported is the grim pic symbolizing the zenith of 20th century American barbarism it reported is the grim picture of President Roosevelt at his huge desk in the White House fondling a letter opener made from the forearm 
of a Japanese soldier. This was akin to the American brutality and atrocity as shown in their lynchings and other discriminations committed against innocent Negroes. Now they passed the lynching bill. Whoopee. This meant that the peoples living in East Asiatic countries will not be exempted from falling prey to American mob psychology and sacrificed upon the altar of American barbarism if the enemy should win the war at the altar of lynching is the book for Sunday. Same topic all over the world. Dr. Horn emphasized that this is not a U.S. problem. This is not a South Africa problem. This is not a Japan problem. This is not a uh, Germany problem. This is a global problem. The global system of white supremacy. And if you don't grasp that, everything else will only confuse you. White people working together to dominate the Negros. You see this over and over. But lots of that having fun. And, and even that, so this is not some one tooth, uh, no count redneck white person, right? They said this is President Roosevelt chilling at the White House, fondling a letter opener made from the forearm of a Japanese soldier who thinks like that who behaves like that and as he brags about that sort of conduct and even the word fondle talked about delectable negro and all of that the word fondle stroke or caress lovingly erotically We've talked about this 13 years, basically mutilating and, and all of this desecration of black bodies. There is a sexual component to that for individuals classified as white. You don't go and slice off Emmett Till's penis and genitals and put that in a jar, save it for a hundred years. You don't do that without there being, I mean, why are you? And then to have that be, a cultural practice that's repeated. You see the pattern. That's what uh, Adam Clayton Powell said, a pattern of this behavior. Ask all the time what it means to be white. And in fact, that's going to come up in the book for Sunday at the altar of lynching. Is this what it means to be white, that you have fun and derive some sort of sexual gratification from the mutilation of black bodies, non-white bodies in total, it seems. Is that what it means to be white? That question, in fact, is posed early in the book at the altar of lynching that we should be chatting it up Sunday, irregular time, early. Uh, did any other folks, comments, thoughts that came to mind they wanted to share? Um, yes, can I still be heard? Yes, sir. Um, then referring to um, the um, Japanese as um, the Indian and calling um, the area they were um, decimating them in Indian country, that that echoes back and uh, is evident of um, just the tradition and the religion of white supremacy, how um, 
<laughs> this is what they do. You know, even though um, the so-called Indian people are are, are long gone in, in the manner that um, they're referring them to, they're still um, <clears throat> their mind, their racist mind is is, is still where it was. Uh, I suspect um, when the Yoruba um, got started with this race business. Um, but I may be in error. Absolutely, and and uh, that point is in the book consistently in terms of calling uh, the Japs Indian. Now, I mean, at, in this book, are you talk? Do you mean like Indian in terms of folks next to Pakistan? Or I guess that didn't exist before World War Two, but that's white people too. Do you, is that what you mean, or do you mean like the folks that you call Indian over here, like? Even like, who are you talking about for the white people that are saying, oh, this is Indian country, but they're talking about the so-called Japanese like that right there. Like, it doesn't even matter. You're not white. You don't count. You're an Indian. But wait a minute. I'm Japanese. Shut up, Indian. Even they have in the book sometimes where they're calling so-called Asian people niggers. It doesn't matter. You're not white. You don't count. It's nothing to you. You should be I'm snatching the teeth out of your mouth. It's nothing to you. You don't count for anything. Yes, black get back? Absolutely. But hey, if you are not white, we are supposed to stomp on you forever. That's what it, and I mean, making it plain. A lot of this stuff, like I said, I just didn't know. I didn't know who Tojo was. He even has that in the book uh, of the name Tojo being used as a racist slur. That's not fiction. Philip K. Dick had a whole lot of things in that book that were true, even though it is fiction, but that did happen. He probably heard that being in San Francisco and with the Black Panther. I should have mentioned that. Uh, Philip K. Dick hanging out with the Black Panther Party uh, in San Francisco. Uh, The man in the high castle but he probably heard that especially in San Francisco because they have Chinatown and all that so I am sure he probably heard some non-white people they probably didn't even have to be Japanese you know just whatever uh, Tojo white dominate in charge the man worldwide if you are not white get out of here in fact they had that in uh, one of the chapters in race war in China when it was uh, occupied by the British before World War II I guess they had some peak uh, where all of the really nice luxury houses were and it was law only white people could live on the top of the hill. What did I say? That's nearly full of the man and woman in the high castle like to look down. That's exactly what Mr. Fuller says. Royalist system and it's worldwide. Britain, the queen, Jamaica go down there and have some black people enslaved and all that just uh, had the royals visiting Jamaica to talk all that nonsense but looking down on non-white people all over the world splashing mud on them mistreating them collecting their genitals and or teeth and bragging about all of this apparently at least according to the evidence is that what it means to be white that's what we have to look forward to until we solve this problem anyway, incidentally that's even in the walking dead I mean you see it replicated a lot but I mean if you want to go current like walking dead they have the scene where Daryl and he one of the popular characters where he's going around killing zombies wonder who they're talking about killing zombies and making necklaces out of their teeth and ears 
Hmm. Hmm. Daryl is a white man, in case you didn't know. Not that I'm encouraging anyone to watch uh, The Walking Dead. No way. Uh, incidentally, I guess since it was mentioned, Chris Rock, <laughs> one of Gus's favorites, right? <laughs> for, for years, uh, I wrote, I, I posted my report on my blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. The report I wrote years ago uh, about Rosa Parks, greater than... Ellen DeGeneres and Chris Rock when he said uh, Ellen DeGeneres is like the Rosa Parks of gay rights. <laughs> Are you serious? All of those compared someone just said they were talking about uh, a so-called transgender individual being like Jackie Robinson. <laughs> All of those comparisons, analogies, similes involving Rosa Parks Jackie Robinson are a total disgrace and generally they are acts of white supremacy racism, period. Uh, I said that for Chris Rock to come out and say that about Ellen DeGeneres, talking as though she is like Rosa Parks in any way, shape, form. Are you serious? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> like, what in the, were you told to say this by white people directly, indirectly, which happens frequently? Dr. Horn, you heard him. You he said, hey, toxic masculinity and all of this uh, he was talking about in World War II reports of black male homosexuality and other responses to oppression on saying that this black male response that everyone is talking about now the slap heard around the world could be another example of response to oppression I generally take the position anything that happens on television is scripted very few things in white entertainment terms of what ends up being on your screen are off script very few things the Academy Awards is one of the most long-running annually scripted television events in the system of white supremacy with regards to entertainment decades and such that this has been on that they've been doing this so I mean really you haven't prepared for all this you got all these really powerful important whites present you don't you haven't prepared for all this you can just anybody can just get up out of their seat and walk up on stage at any time they want to really I think they got security protocols they know how to do all that and you do have all the people here are skilled actors that's what this is celebrating right their ability to act deceive us make us think this is real right they were reporting before all this happened that no one even wanted to watch the Oscars that's what they were saying not oh we're so excited is Will Smith gonna win oh my goodness did you see Coda that was not the dialogue the dialogue was who even cares COVID disrupted everything and all this other craziness and blue eyed people in the Ukraine and what's gonna happen are we gonna get Putin who even cares about the Oscars and now everyone has to say something about the uh, and toxic black masculinity that's another one that makes me think this might have been staged it couldn't just be Will Smith gets an Academy Award which you know who cares <laughs> that's how I feel I've seen this before right Denzel Washington Halle Berry 
Hattie McDaniel, really, if you want to go all the way back to World War II. I've seen this before. None of this helps us to solve white supremacy today, immediately. None of this. So I'm not, you know, love the film, but I, I was not paying attention to the Oscars. I, like everyone else, was not looking forward to this, moving forward with my day until, oh my gosh, and what's going to happen? He slapped him and, oh, we got to have a peace summit and all the rest of it for an event where it normally would just be whoopee for Will Smith hasn't he come a long way who could imagine from Fresh Prince of Bel Air to an Academy Award and then no less an Academy Award for this movie this is not an Academy Award for playing a maid or a butler in Gone with the Wind this is not an Academy Award for being a lackey in the Union Army Denzel Glory this is not an Academy Award for being a no count rogue cop who gets brutally shot to death Denzel again this is not an Academy Award for bedwinching for races in fact didn't we just hear sometimes you have to didn't Dr. Horney just said he said you have to prostitute yourself sometimes if you come under subjugation this is not being rewarded celebrating that with Halle Berry Monsters Ball this isn't any of those this is oh wow a film black people are speaking out against racism white supremacy and Will Smith getting an Academy Award for portraying a black male who has been despised universally like not on par with Minister Malcolm X but wow Oh, are you serious? We're gonna give flipping Will. We didn't give Will Smith an award for playing Muhammad Ali. All the characters and roles that he's had over his illustrious career, and he gets an Academy Award for playing this Negro. <laughs> I'm of the opinion race soldiers like. You read this book, if we enjoy practicing racism, white supremacy, and looking down on niggers, we're going to exalt a film that is all about displaying a affectionate black family and black people getting along and working together, minimizing conflict. <sighs> Race soldiers hate that sort of thing. That's why I think this could be staged. Now we can just totally switch the attention from celebrating Will Smith's moment to uh, no count black males. What are you going to do? If they're not raping, fighting and brawling, you just can't take them anywhere. Get Chris Rock to say something. It's not like he doesn't have a record of saying these type of anti-black things, right? What he said about Rosa Parks, I wrote about that one. Who's more racist? Isn't he lionized for that one? Who's more racist? black people in fact you can hold that thought for tomorrow many times victims of racism get out in public on a microphone in front of a big audience even at Clemson University Dr. Horn talked about that and used that as the time to point out that black people are racist too that's always a good line to get in when talking to white people to curry some favor I'm not radical. I'm no Minister Malcolm. I'm no Dr. Gerald Horn. We got some racist black people too. In fact, 
who's more racist isn't that what he's known for victim of white supremacy Chris Rock who's more racist that one in the big piece of chicken and them two niggas got shot isn't that what he's known for Mr. Fuller said that years ago black male anybody black person period they come out with a chair I'm gonna tell you some jokes I immediately change the channel this is what I can expect I think this may have been stayed you go you get Chris Rock hey this will be great this will be funny say this say this say this you stage it both ways you tell Mill Smith like hey it'll be funny it'll be great we'll do it blah 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 and, you know whatever and you can do this both ways like hey do this get the Academy Award it'll be great nobody's even interested in watching the show it'll drive up ratings it'll be funny all the rest of it now he's maybe looking at charges and all this or hey got this lovely family be a shame if something happened to Jaden you think over whether you want to do it or not you don't have to knock him out or anything just give him a give him old love tap and again hey you don't want to do it well we'll talk to Jaden a little bit later have a good day Will lots of ways if you're in a system of domination global domination it's a whole lot of ways you can manipulate the conduct of non-white people victims Chris Rock victim of white supremacy but I am no fan Will Smith victim of white supremacy his wife as well Jada Pinkett Smith victim of white supremacy but at the end of the day hey we're talking about people who are paid to act deceive you and make you believe things wow he gave such a realistic performance looked like he really got hit looked like he really was flying there like wow did you see him in Hancock I think this could have been staged for racist results so that we can spend all of this time talking about no count what's our normal topic raping criminal drug peddling brawling black privileged males that's our favorite pastime and particularly to detract as opposed to wasn't Will Smith great playing that old no count Richard Williams Urgh. Now we just get back to you. Yeah, Will Smith is toxic black male and Richard Williams is a toxic black male and Chris Rock is a toxic everybody hates Chris. That's right. We hate all you niggers. That's my view. Master stroke from racist man, racist woman, racist child. Again, I can't emphasize enough for an event no one wanted to watch. You should go back and do a Google search and do it. Customize the date of your search. So before that slap happened, look at the reports about the Oscars before that it wasn't whoopee we're so excited who's gonna be there it was eh be doing something else with my time and energy we moved the time up what's going on in Ukraine I'm worried about this nonsense they'll probably be protesting and Oscar so white and all the rest of it that was real prominent not anymore and again conveniently lost in all of this there was a great film because normally what happens hey a film wins for best picture or the actor or actress wins an academy award hey the film gets a bump so people who didn't see it go see it or wow we need to go check this out this is a not this time toxic privileged black male that old will smith he needs a good beating so does that chris rock both of them and see this one they win both ways 
You can be mad at Will Smith, no count blackmail. See, that's what I say about you niggers. You get mad and get right up and knock the hell out of somebody and all of it. So you can go that way or see that old Chris Rock sitting around and talking bad about something. That's what I say about you blackmail, sitting around and be word this and hope this and talking about her. You just got no respect for nobody. You especially don't expect to respect a black female. That's what I see. Win both ways. Even do a double whammy and take both positions. Win all the way around. I could be wrong. I don't have any. Actually, last comment I'll say about I'm. I think it's repugnant to even have to talk about this because man. However, this is something being talked about all over the world. That's not a coincidence. That's not an accident. That's not happenstance. All over the world, that's the image. Brawling black males. Brawling black males gotta have white security is LAPD gonna charge him that tends to leave me but what I was saying in terms of evidence one there were people that were showing like reaction shots allegedly of people in the crowd and what have you that were responding like oh my god is this real what 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 what? even that people thinking because people were saying is this real was this staged then people were saying wait a minute some of these alleged reaction shots these people weren't even present uh oh are y'all lying and manipulating things? And then they had another report today that was saying it seems some of the images of this had been altered to try to, I guess, suggest other things that were happening and how people were responding and what unfold. All of that. Now you got to go and manipulate and put out all these fake images to try to further uh, manipulate how people process and think about this uh, event. I come back to what Mr. Fuller said you bring out a black person male or female and they say hey I'm going to tell you some jokes I turn off the channel minimizing conflict with black that's one thing I guess I'll leave on I think all this was staged but uh, hey if it had been Bill Murray a white comedian up there telling jokes and they had said this about Will Smith now would they have staged it for him to go up and whack a white man if this is authentic would that have happened now that I bet you they would have been charges then wouldn't have even had to ask he might have been arrested immediately he got up on stage and smacked Brad Pitt Tom Cruise I can't even mention a white I couldn't even get that out with a straight face like a white woman man man they would have been collecting and making a necklace out of Will Smith's teeth could be wrong let us see uh, any other folks thoughts they want to get like I said I find it repugnant because out of all the things happening in the world I don't think Chris Rock is in the top 1000 like are you serious I don't care what Chris Rock said about anything. No disrespect to that victim. Nor do I think Will Smith is that important. Like, really? Reading is more important than watching television. Get race wars opposed to talking about this nonsense. But I mean, racist white supremacists have nine areas of activity. Entertainment is one. And wow, they got a slam dunk of black misandry and black male toxicity this week per usual uh, did any of the folks commentary they wanted to uh, get even something repugnant about that like 
hands flying up to talk about Chris Rock. We'll take, uh, this is on a timer because I don't think this is that important. So we'll have five minutes if folks have any commentary on the Chris Rock segment reading more important than watching television. Uh, let's see. So we're on the clock five minutes from now. Any of the folks that had commentary on that? Can I come in here real quick? Our caller in Ohio will nab other folks as well. And then the individual, each individual does not get five minutes. We're spending five minutes total on Chris Rock. I'll make it real quick. Gus, you see the deception that they're practicing. It's mysterious enough that uh, wasn't it Jada Pickett who talked about the Oscars so white a couple years ago? Again, I don't watch TV that much, but I do believe she was the one that brought it up, her and Will. And mysteriously enough, now all of a sudden Will's getting an award and he's up on stage tacking people. Uh, I, I sense deception. I think it was staged, uh, but a lot of people don't actually read a lot to understand how they practice deception. They're actors. That's their job. They're paid liars. So I, I, don't, I don't see it being any bigger than just somebody trying to deceive and using black people as a distraction. I'll meet my life. Black males as a distraction because this is like a very gendered tone they had at Dr. Horn you heard him say it he said it was toxic black masculinity it wasn't just black people in general it was that no good black male again uh, retired firefighter in Florida fresh off of his frolicking at Miami Beach yeah I, I got in too much of that fan out there and uh, uh, I was caught up with the uh, visualizing all of the twerking out of the females, but anyway, uh, on the serious side, uh, uh, what, 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 what is tonight's subject is, is really is supposed to be about? We had Dr. Gerald Horn on, uh, we discussed his book race war, um, on world war two. Tojo popped up in there. That was uh, our guest. He was with us. Uh, and he, uh, just, he must have left early. Uh, he can only be with us for about an hour, 15 minutes or so. So he was here about 75 minutes. Um, but he casually mentioned um, this incident with Chris Rock and Wills. That's why I said it. they get everybody in the world talking about it. He just casually mentioned it in reference to some of the things we were talking about in his book. Uh, and I, after we were done with that, I just gave my comments on that. But that was our uh, assigned theme uh, for the evening. His book, Race War, World War Two, and how that was all about white supremacy racism. Yeah, okay. Uh well, you know, that that subject is not really that important to me. Uh I did I I did observe the uh so called slap punch. It did it did it didn't look real. It looked like what you would uh recognize from a movie and both both parties are experienced at at the fake hitting that looks real to the uh the customer meaning the movie watcher, it looks real, but actually when you slow it down, it, 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 he was already fading away from the blow before he was hit. Uh, and I know that he's not a professional fighter who's experienced at do, uh, professional fighters are experienced at what they do. And he was already fading away from it and his reaction afterwards. It didn't look like any pain at all let alone talking about embarrassment, didn't look like it at all. So, 
And like you said, both of them are professional actors. And they, they've had years, decades of training. <laughs> i put it that way. i put it that way. So I didn't see what was so such of an important issue, you know, with it, you know, all together. And that's, that's all I can say. Thank you. Much obliged. Retired firefighter in Florida. Men, 1,000% agreement. Do we have any? We still were under our five-minute time limit. So anybody else, any comments they wanted to get on on Will Smith, Chris Rock? Man, you heard? Our caller, uh, 2262. Yes, sir. Um, thank you, Gus. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that um, some years ago, Will Smith was, um, I guess, walking on red carpet. And he ended up, I guess, smacking some white assailant who tried to actually assault him. Um, I'm thinking that white people are very vindictive and they hold grudges. So this could be him kind of taking that back from what, what he did so long ago. But that was my conjecture on it. I've seen that uh, footage. I think he was what they call overseas. Uh, I don't remember the exact location so-called country but I, it was not in the u.s um but i remember that it was a report he was in like a big crowd of people they were interviewing him or what have you and uh this male came up and tried to kiss him uh on the lips like i guess if you're overseas the the double cheek thing i think sometimes even males do that but this guy tried to kiss him on the lips and he uh said kind of similar smacked him and i don't remember there being any uh Oh my God, is he going to be arrested and all the rest of it? Um, yeah. <laughs> it, if anything, system of racism, white supremacy, counter violence, you do have to answer to white people. So, you know, that's also something to keep in mind as well. But yeah, master deceivers uh, to have everyone in the known universe, or not in the known universe, but have people all over the planet talking about this event when no one wanted to watch this to begin with. Anywho, uh, this better be good. with that, any uh, other commentary folks had in uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, check out Race War if you have not already. Uh, lots of great details. Hopefully folks got constructive information from that. Uh, any uh, other comments folks need to get in before we wrap up, get ready for our book club tomorrow. S.E. May Washington Williams, dear Senator, part three. Yeah, final, final thing I'll say. Um... A lot of deception in regards to the um, Will Smith and Chris Rock incident. Uh, I think um, race man, race woman, they love to use um, Hollywood for a lot of um, hidden things that we are not aware aware of. But um, giving the 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 fresh French, the fresh French, his crown in the form of the Oscar for his role as King Richard and and, and um, tacking on that tacky, trashy, and terroristic moment. I think there's meaning to that. That um, White people are definitely aware of definitely deception. Absolutely. Best you can hope for is uh, Octavia Spencer. She got an Academy Award for the help. I don't remember any crazy antics happening to uh, disrupt her moment. Uh, Hattie McDaniel, same thing. I don't remember any crazy antics uh, to disrupt her moment. Uh, Halle Berry, like, uh, if you're going to come out and play the role uh, of a maid for white people, servant, 
a victim of some sort of sexual exploitation and rape great awesome you taught us how to fry chicken great awesome we'll we'll let you have your night wear your best and we will celebrate you uh being a victim of white supremacy but something where you're talking about trying to combat racism white supremacy and calling us out as racist and talking about how much you care about your black children and you you think your black wife is beautiful and you want to be with her you're not around here talking about white women and all the rest of it you want to take care of your black children same type of response that you heard in the book we read from uh, Dr. Gerald Horn. Like, I'm, I'm nauseous. I could buy. In fact, that might have been motivating some of the white people saying, I don't even want to watch. Got no count niggers complaining, including his wife, uh, Will Smith, complaining racism at the Oscars. Why don't black people get nominated and all the rest of it? Celebrating black. I don't even watch this. You might want to watch if it's going to be niggers brawling and we get to grouse and complain about them. Oh, okay. Well, now I'll turn back in. <laughs> I'll, I'll support that. Let's check that out. Doesn't get any better than tacky. Uh, he mentioned uh, Dr. Horn mentioned Lewis Till and his father uh, or Emmett Lewis Till and then his father, Lewis Till. We just talked about uh, Lewis Till. I have to go back. It might have been in Rethinking Rufus. I had to go back. Uh, it was one of our guests because they noted that as well. The I don't know what you want to call that symmetry uh, pattern of these black males uh, being killed uh, and accused of uh, being rapists, being killed as a result of, of some alleged contact. Uh, with a, a white woman some incorrect uh, contact uh, with a white woman uh, but Rethinking Rufus in the Archives I have to go back and see exactly which book and which author uh, that was where we talked about uh, his dad because I didn't know that information until that program I'd heard it before Dr. Horn mentioned it uh, today but that that's not um, I think Dr. Horn as he was saying that's not common knowledge uh, I guess in many of the films and books where they talk about Emmett Till for whatever reason um, they don't mention that um, yeah I don't know why not popular what have you lots of bleeping back males to think about anywho uh, everybody got their final comments what they needed to say awesome uh, we should um, oh I was too early the, the um, I, w- I was thinking about the monkey me um, and and how white people were, were calling the, the Japanese, go out and get some monkey meat. And I suspect there was some cannibalism going on. That, uh, And I also suspect there was some necrophilia going on during that time that was not um, that reported. If it, is, if it was reported, it's hard to acquire this document. Well, again, I, I say this to um, for people to detect and be aware of the behavior patterns that we could see white people participating in and um, we should want to understand that and uh, correct that, change that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that that all of it. The monkey meat, delectable Negro. I read that passage from Doctor uh, Horn's book when he was talking about it was you know kill Jap, kill Jap, kill Jap, and get out and get some more monkey meat. Uh, all, I am saying he he has the passage in the book Dr. Horn does where white people were practicing uh, cannibalism. Maybe I'll read that one real quick before 
Let's see how quickly I can locate it. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Uh, not long after the internment, <clears throat> the already horrible conditions in the devastated city declined sharply. He's talking about the internment of white people uh, after uh, the Japanese defeated the British uh, in uh, China. Uh, beyond the barriers of the camps, there were credible reports of cannibalism, or so alleged. I. D. Zia, who hailed from Shanghai, but who was educated as a physician in Hong Kong, our neighbor housewife, he recalled chillingly, disclosed that the distinction between human flesh and animal meat lay in the fact that human flesh, when cooked in a frying pan, would bounce up, whereas animal meat would not. Inside Stanley, this is a internment camp uh, one mother overheard two middle-aged men discussing which of the little ones they would start on if the Japanese stopped sending rations to us the interned Jean Gittens reports that by 1944 it was said that human meat was being sold openly in markets footnote 35 when a large mongrel stray dog dog straight into the camp two English soldiers decided to kill the cur boil him and eat him after dark Robert Hammond saw one lady so hungry that she ran out and picked up a large rat that had just been thrown away and started to eat its skin and all with astonishment he saw a man selling lo shi tong rat soup for 10 cents a bowl a US sailor interned at Stanley recalled that no meat ever tasted as good as the horse meat I ate there. They also ate weevils since the doctors in the camp told us they contained vitamins. E. Now this is white people talking about even eating other white people if they don't get rations like and then collecting teeth and all the rest. What does it mean to be white and imagine that things have gotten to the point where human meat is being sold in open markets <sighs> context of white supremacy delectable negro book club 2017 seasoning lots of things to think about with the white culture and seeing these type of behavior patterns pop up repeatedly anywho um, another reason to read is he was saying Dr. Uh, Horn was saying that a lot of this is buried this information you would have to read in order to access this content so again reading I don't know about watching uh, everybody hates Chris but reading more important than watching television. Uh, everyone satisfied? We didn't miss anybody. Hey, Gus. Yes, sir. Um, it was interesting about that. The cannibalism side. There's a movie. Um, I, it's called the movie's called Ravenous is uh like a sci 
science fiction. I don't know if it's sci-fi, but I believe it's on uh, Netflix. And I had seen this movie back in the day. What it was about is the expansion westward um, in America, and I guess the 1800s. Long story short, the the movie revolved around this uh, cannibal who was running around killing people and eating them. And and in the last scene in the movie, like this uh, this person who was a soldier, I guess, in the Union Army and whatnot, he, he became a cannibal because he ended up getting in a, a position where he was in like a valley or a ravine or something like that, and uh, he had to eat somebody, and the other cannibal came back and got him. So these two cannibals are sitting here fighting each other through this camp that's filled with like pretty much body parts. There's a big pot that that's like a stew pot, and it's got arm bones in it. You know what I'm saying? It, it was a, if you watch the movie, you'll get what I'm saying about it. But it's a whole movie just about the cannibalism side. And what the guy said in the movie, um, he was speaking about like cannibalizing people, but also how America was cannibalizing people as it expanded out west. I guess the reference to eating people physically and and you know taking over people's territory and enslaving them is it, it's a very interesting movie. But if you get a chance, the movie's name is Ravenous. I, I'll meet my line now. White people do reveal some truth in their movies, fiction, as they say. The man in the high castle, but ravenous. If uh, folks want to check it out, in fact, Denzel Washington wasn't he in the Book of Eli? Where he had to be like, "Whoa, we got to get the heck out of here! These folks are eating people. They're going to eat him too." <laughs> I was in uh, the Book of Denzel. Why he was peacemaker? Uh, any, did we miss any other folks that uh, had a hand up that we missed totally? Do y'all have commentary that you need to get in? Hello? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so um, I think whites have already, uh, like, I think for decades, they've already begun the process of having everyone basically to become, I guess, in a way, indirect cannibals, um, given that uh, the human stem cells are in a lot of our foods, uh, which is why I like how you always, you know, uh, talk about, you know, eating healthy and, you know, organic foods, et cetera. And also, too, as I'm sure a lot of us know, human stem cells are in a lot of the vaccines. Or, um, But can I make one just brief comment about the Chris Rock? It's actually a correlation with another matter. Is that okay? I reckon. Oh, okay. Thank you, sir. Um, so I thought my view of that is I agree with you that I believe that it was staged, but I also believe that the whites created that as a distraction from the Katanji Brown Jackson hearings because Twitter was a buzz about how calm she was, um, uh, very composed, even though, you know, the senators, the white senators were very aggressive uh, towards her and uh, their questioning. And for the most part, from what I witnessed, her responses were just, you know, uh, very highly, you know, intelligent. And uh, again, she was just very composed. And so I just thought of that, that they uh, created that distraction because everyone was just, you know, uh, raving about how, you know, well composed she was. So that, that that's my contribution. Thank you. 
much obliged. Uh, that is happening right now. Correct. In fact, I have to I have to uh, ponder that. Let me look at the news and see, because people have been talking about that a lot uh, over. I have to process it some more, but my just my thought with that. That took a turn for Black Misandry as well. They have been on Clarence Thomas's wife. Man, she needs to come to his wife is white, so that's capital too, but she needs to come down here and testify. What is she doing about January sixth and ring 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 and all of that? Uh and old Clarence Thomas needs to recuse himself uh from anything related to January sixth. Like that's been huge uh in the midst of all this. And I was like, wow, like one Clarence Thomas was just in the hospital, like he, you know, had some major health problems and eh, nobody cares. Uh no count black male coons got this white wife and everything. They've been talking about all that, like, dang, the whole Supreme Court process like they uh, have been talking about her is she going to be confirmed or not and it bringing back up Clarence Thomas and all that from Anita Hill toxic black masculinity again and he shouldn't be there blah 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 now he needs to recuse himself like that has been kind of interesting as well um, all at the same time I have, to, I have to process it some more I could be totally in the air but that is kind of all concurrent um, Will Smith Chris Rock thing confirmation for uh Katanji Brown Jackson and then that no clamp no count Clarence Thomas who was just in the hospital like I said he could be dying or what have you uh, and it's no count Clarence Thomas he needs to step down recuse himself maybe even step down and his wife needs to get in here and explain herself cowbell uh, I'm just checking to see the New York oh they got a sign of course they delayed the vote Oh uh, yeah, that's oh, and they got Emmett Till on the front page for the. the <sighs> All I can say with the lynching, the same thing that I said last week, they got the uh, bill passed now. The way that they define lynching, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they start convicting black males of lynching. Emmett, uh, Will Smith, anybody else, the way that they defined it, just like with hate crimes. But that's you know we'll have to see how that goes. I'm looking at the New York Times. I do not see Katanji Brown Jackson mentioned. Now they did delay the what you call it, the vote, so I suspect that might be some of it, but I do see on the front page of the New York Times Chris Rock and Will Smith. Mm, mm, mm. That would support our point. But they delayed the vote, so we'll have to see. But yeah, let's see. what We'll check one more. Let's see. LA Times, what's on their front page? Let's see. This is LA, so it's got to be Will Smith and Chris Rock. Let's see. Yep, there it is, Will Smith. Let's see. Anything about Katanji Brown Jackson? Let's see. Nope. Nope. Two things on <laughs> got two on that and nothing on Katanji Brown Jackson. Not that I think that's anything to celebrate either. I did thought the same thing when they had uh Clarence Thomas. They could put my mom on the Supreme Court and I would say the same thing replace white supremacy with justice immediately uh, anything else folks need to get in everybody satisfied we will assume folks are good while we're wrapping up I'm just checking the Chicago Tribune just for giggles Will Smith and Chris Rock 
Chicago Tribute. Anything for Kataji Brown Jackson? Two things for Chris Rock and Wills. Are you serious? All the things happening in the world, like that's that important, even in Chicago? Are you serious? Alrighty. Two on Will Smith and Chris Rock. Zero on Katanji Brown Jackson for today. Oh, whoops, missed it. There's one. Sorry, they had it on the side. Sorry, they do have one for Katanji Brown Jackson uh, that she will get one GOP vote. I did see that earlier today that she's going to get one GOP vote, but all that's been delayed. So, you know, that's kind of on the back burner for now. We'll have to spend another couple days talking about Chris Rock and Will Smith. Uh, Much obliged for everyone tuning in. Hope it was worthy of your time and energy. Broadcast should be in the archives directly. Uh, I think we had a problem. Our uh, Black Talk Radio Network updated the site and they upgraded the um, the live stream, right? That goes out to like tune in and other locations. Uh, the white people have to switch that feed. So hopefully it'll be switched soon so that the, if you listen via tune in live or what have you, you'll be able to continue uh, doing that. I'm going to submit it to them again. Uh, Mr. Reed already made one submission. Uh, so I'll try again and see if that expedites uh, the process so that they'll hurry up and update the feed and will be good so you can listen live online but the archive should be working if you have problems accessing the archived content let me know until justice at gmail.com 13 years listener supported counter racist radio uh, where we've had content like rethinking Rufus Thomas A. Foster mentioned uh, on today's broadcast and the delectable Negro top 10 uh, for Gus T listener supported counter racist radio hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com paypal button is in the top right corner you'll see the links for paypal cash app venmo uh cash app address is cash dot app forward slash dollar sign the cows much obliged for all the folks who have kept us broadcasting uh, over a dozen or excuse me over a decade dozen years. Ha. well yeah over a dozen years hopefully worthy of folks time and energy uh, with that sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy we need high functioning brain computers to resolve this problem ASAP urgently uh, if you're out and about this is not a time for confrontations with strangers Dylan Storm Roof. If you didn't leave your residence, prepare to kill and or die. Exit. Uh, that is the protocol. You have no idea if they have an armed entourage at the ready and you're out with your groceries. If you're in a vehicle, you are sober, buckled up, not on your cell phone, just doing the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers and uh, we need all of our attention so we can be mindful about things that are happening around us. All of that said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. 
it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling no gossiping minimizing conflict with other black people that's when someone mentioned the program uh, with Charles Cobb uh, before non-violence black people non-white people being non-violent with each other we don't have a Chris Rock situation to talk about because black people are non-violent with other black people counter-racism code would help us solve this problem immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim no brother problem. you're a victim uh, i'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning mm -hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned uh.